Okay, so um, hi, it's Elizabeth Chapin. And Lee. And we have kind of taken a hiatus for the summer. I went away to Vermont for a few months, and Lee did not I, really want to do a podcast no. that wasn't in person. And I just stayed here and And you had to work in the hospital. And ate chocolate cake. You had to... But and you I had, worked. You I had worked. to be at the hospital every day. I did. I did. So... So we took a little break, and we're back, and um, we're going to do the dependent stance um, we, to round out the stances, and we have guests today. We have Kathy Sever as a six, and, I, and Kathy was, um, if you listen to the podcast that we did right when COVID happened, Kathy very generously came over, and we had a whole conversation about sixes in the time of a pandemic, mm-hmm. and what what sixes can tell us about things that they knew would happen. (laughs) And we have Jen Lash as a one. And Jen has been really involved in our number nights and come into all our things that we do. And then we have Scott David Gordon, who is actually our podcast producer and a two. And um, we'll just get started. Do you want to do a kind of a just a general Yeah, so we'll do a a quick recap of what the dependent stance is. And if you'll remember stances, there's kind of two groupings of numbers. There's triads and stances. And triads are the three groupings based on what is dominant. So you have the heart, head, and gut. And then the the stances are determined by what is repressed. And there is a a dip, three three stance numbers in each triad. So we're going to have, um, we have the one in the gut triad, we have the six in the head triad, and the two in the heart triad. So, um, but you are, are all in the dependent stance. And what that means, that what is repressed for you is thinking. And just like all of us, it doesn't mean... Um, what is repressed doesn't mean that you're not thoughtful, that you're not intelligent, that you don't know how to think. Is that you don't utilize it in a way that brings you wholeness in, in kind of connection with your, with your feeling and your doing, right? So your work, which Elizabeth and I talk about a lot on this podcast and why we love the Enneagram and why we really love stances, is that you can know all of these things about yourself. You can observe all of these things about yourself when you know you're not. Enneagram number, and then what do you what do you do with that to live more truly into yourself, uh, your true self? Stance work is just one of the best places to start, and so part of what we'll talk about today is how you bring up productive thinking. And I, f- and I feel like I've been listening to a ton of podcasts this summer, and there's so many there's so many ways to um, work on yourself. Right? There's so many. You can meditate. There's so many avenues, right? But I feel what I love about the Enneagram is like no matter what you're doing, it just kind of um, gives you that. It's just a it's just a little roadmap. So you can be yeah. doing all your things that you're doing, and sometimes you get in the weeds and you're like, "What does it mean to get back to myself? What does it? What do I need to do to even hear who I am today? Like, what does that mean to hear who I am today?" For, for me as a four, it's about bringing up my doing. And for you guys, it's about bringing up productive thinking. When you can just kind of remind yourself of that, it's helpful. It's yeah. just helpful. It just kind of cuts through the shit yeah. pretty quickly. Yeah. One thing to remember, which will I think as we talk about how you all are, 
kind of making your way through the world is that you're present oriented. So you're looking at what's right in front of you. And when we say dependent, we'll, we'll kind of break that down. But this stance is known as a dependent stance where Elizabeth and I and Nathaniel are in the withdrawing stance. And then there's the aggressive stance, right? But you all are in the dependent stance. And so in the moment, you are looking outside of yourself kind of to know yourself in a way, I think, like in real time. And Elizabeth and I are totally um, daydreaming and ruminating about, or I am, I guess, are we all in the past? Yeah. Yeah. We're We're all all in in the the past. past. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm a big ruminator. I ruminate all the time. I'm just love to ruminate. Um, So you all are in the present, which I think can really offer a gift, but it can also be a bit of a trap, right? Because it keeps you're so reactive to what's outside of you, you don't stop to think about what you're taking in sometimes. And so we'll talk more about that. Um, and, and then one more thing to remember is the kind of repressed center of your number, so thinking in this case, even though we're saying it's repressed, it doesn't mean that it's lacking necessarily. And in really, it's actually the purest part of you in a lot of ways um, because you haven't, you haven't really utilized it. Um, like when I bring up doing, I'm a bit childlike sometimes because it feels so outside of my norm. Like if I just do instead of um, without thinking, without kind of wondering about what the conflict will what conflict I'll create as a nine when I just do something. It feels very pure and exhilarating and childlike. And I think in some ways for you all, when you bring up this part of you, um, it reconnects you to, to, who you, to who you are and connects you to kind of finding who you are inside of yourself, which feels, um, which feels really childlike and pure. And I think also, um, I mean, Suzanne talks about how it can be sort of immature and awkward as well. So it's pure because it stepped, you put it down early. But um, I think when you jump into kind of working on your repressed center, it can, like the things I do can, they may be pure, but they can also be awkward. A little awkward. And I think what happens is a lot of times your friends or the people around you can react to your sudden awkwardness because you're mm-hmm. trying to shift. Mm-hmm. And I think it's important to just kind of keep going. Like, don't yes. let that deter you back. Don't let that put you back in your little cage that you've been in. Just yes. keep being awkward until until you've had a little practice. Yeah. Right? Yeah. 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 Um, All right. Get with it. Okay, so I feel like you've already talked about that. what dependence means. Seeking answers and validation outside yourself. Seeking lots of opinions from other people. I was asking Lee earlier, just a second ago, like I feel in the heart triad that um, as feelers, we're always kind of, two, threes, and fours are always kind of seeking their identity outside themselves. And so my question to Lee was, like, what's the difference between... Um, two threes and fours kind of always always um, grabbing feelings everywhere and not necessarily knowing what their own are and the difference between that and always seeking answers and validation outside yourself in the dependent stance 
And what did you, I don't even remember what you said. Already <laughs> I've forgotten. It was so great you don't remember. Um, well, and Alabelle was here, so she was helpful. So yeah. we were really kind of also thinking about threes, kind of looking for that, their identity of success outside of themselves. And kind of what we were wondering is you all are looking for feedback about kind of in real time about who you are. And I think an aggressive number, like a three, is looking for the feedback that they want. So the threes that I know are are reading the room and going through the world, but they're not picking up. They they might be picking up everyone, but they're going to look for what they want to be successful, and they move towards that. They go find that that person. They 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 find that that idea. And I don't... I don't think that the dependent mm. stance does that. Yes, and as a four, I know I, I know where I can go get that texture yeah. and that squishy thing, and mm-hmm. I I can o- overdo that to the point of losing myself. But I I think one of the, one of the things you were saying about the dependent stance is that you're not oh, okay. I, I'm having a thought right now. So I think it's like because you're not, you don't trust yourself, right? Mm-hmm. You have trouble trusting yourself. You kind of democratize your sources so you kind of think everybody's like that and so maybe you're not quite as discerning about who you depend on does that make sense yeah. Yes, that's exactly right, I think. And yeah, so I think, your head. yeah, and I think, I mean, I think one of the things Suzanne has taught us is how dangerous that is and that people in the dependent stance, you're always, as a one, trying to perfect your reality. You are always trying to safeguard your life. You're always trying to get people to love you, right, and be needed and be dependable and all those things. And you are giving that away to people who are not necessarily going to take care of that honor that you're 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 giving it you're kind of offering that willy-nilly and you're not necessarily going to be protected by the by the sources that you're going to does that mean not to be like dramatic but i think it's about so i guess what we're saying is bringing up productive thinking is bringing up the discernment about who you depend on, maybe? I think that's part of it, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I can say something about that, I think. Well, you say who you are. Just oh, this so people is Jen. I'm a one. Um, I think that really hit me. It rang really true with me because I've kind of, especially in my professional life, will easily exhaust myself. Kind of, if somebody asks me for something, I don't ever want to say no. I want to, like, do it. I want to do it really well. It's very hard for me to half half-ass things like I whole ass everything and if I don't discern who's asking there's certain you know I've come into situations where I'll just put too much into it and then I'm exhausted like I haven't given myself any of that energy or saved that energy for something that was worth my time mm-hmm. that makes sense and mm-hmm. um and, and then I'm also seeking a lot of feedback from people on the things that I'm doing. Like, I have a hard time being like, this is done, and I'm it's good, and moving on, and I don't yes. care what anybody else thinks. Yes. Like, I, I want to do a good job, but then I also want them to tell me that it was, that, that it was right. Mm-hmm. You yes. Know? So, that was where that landed on me. So, do you think discernment for you is just knowing that it's right and moving on, or knowing mm-hmm. that it's good enough and moving on? Yeah, actually... Yes, there's been a theory or like a saying that we've been embodying in our house lately, for me mostly, is that good enough is good enough. Like Mm -hmm. doing, like I built a pathway in my yard or on my garden and 
I could have spent three or four more days on it easily, but I just did the bear what I needed to do. I got it done and it's fine. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> it's That's totally good. good. When good. I think about like you, you, you spend so much energy doing things right, doing things the best in this correct way. And then you spend additional energy waiting for feedback yeah. or looking for it. Mm-hmm. And, and folks don't know necessarily what you what you're needing to to be able to set it down say it's good and move on yeah but you are spending a lot of energy waiting and maybe redoing or you keep doing or you do more um when I was doing consulting work and clients weren't getting back to me it was like a state of perpetual worry for me because I just needed to close the loop yeah I needed to know that they were satisfied and that I could go on to the next thing and that was not always there it's very stressful that's so helpful. Hmm. Um, so this is a definition of dependent I came across recently, which is that de- the de- de- people in the dependent stance value people depending on them, and they are dependent on the rest- responses of others to tell them who they are. That ones want us to depend on them to define what is correct and upstanding and good. Um, twos want us to depend on them for what they have to get, give us what they can how how they can help us Mm -hmm. how you can how you love us and how you can help us yeah right um sixes want us to depend on them to tell us uh, what is safe and what is right it says also what is right Mm -hmm. so i don't know if y'all do y'all have anything to say about that or does that just feel true and good (laughs) we're moving on um one seek peace in their body by perfecting everything around them and um Earlier, Lee was asking me, like, really? Do you really think ones are seeking peace in their body? And I think they are. You're nodding. 100%. Mm-hmm. Um, so if I have, say, I've looked around and I need to do the laundry and I need to put the dishes away, I need to weed something, until I get those, like, three things that I have identified as important and out of order, I won't feel relaxed. Mm-hmm. Like, and if I have to end something sooner to go do something else, it like kind of disrupts my like. It, it's almost like static noise in my brain. Like, it's like yeah. not quite connected, right? Yeah, yeah. But I can really relax if I get the things done. I think. Can you? I'm not sure. You're no, just saying yeah. how you don't. <laughs> you're just saying you're one day off. You didn't take the day off. I didn't because no. you didn't yeah. want to. Yeah, I didn't enjoy it. Yeah. yeah, I like being busy, but but I do. I'll get to a point where I've actually like, I'm a high energy person in my energetic body, also. So mm-hmm. once I if I've achieved those goals and kind of depleted that energy, I will actually like lay down and feel so amazing. Like that feels so good to me to be that accomplished and tired. Like at the same time, it feels mm-hmm. great. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't get there that often though. It takes like a whole day of when you say accomplished and tired. Do you ever? <laughs> Do you ever just feel tired? Like, can you ever allow yourself to feel tired when you don't, quote-unquote, feel ac- accomplished? That's a good question. That's a good question. Dang. I don't know. That's an interesting... It's probably too scary to yeah. put it down. I, I, I don't know. Like, I, I don't... I think I would have to really reach a point of mental exhaustion before I would be like, I am tired. Like, mm-hmm. would, yeah. I was just wondering if that would be misidentified like it might be tired but you might attempt to identify it as some sort of 
like depression or failure or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. or anxiety. Mm-hmm. I know. I, I think you've talked about this before. How anxiety? We call everything anxiety now, mm-hmm. but yes. it's probably not always anxiety. It's some other underlying thing. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really good question. I'm gonna think on that. Okay. okay. Um, that twos are seeking heart validation by giving all their love away. <laughs> um, does that resonate with you, Scott? I mean, yeah, that sounds like some of my relationships. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and yeah, and so I think, I mean, I think the irony, I mean, the the, the thing, to, the, the discernment, right, is that you're, again, I think it goes back to what we were just talking about, about bringing up your thinking and knowing who who you give that love to yeah. who is where will there be mutuality of honoring right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That, uh, that sounds nice yeah <laughs> okay uh, yeah i think um i think this is something actually i realized in my last relationship i was i've always thought of myself of being you know i'm so thoughtful i'm so generous you know like you know, when I'm in a relationship, if anytime someone, I'm like monitoring radar of anytime someone mentions something that they like or whatever, I'm like, I'm storing that away, mm, saving yes. it, surprising them with all these things. Wow. And I really feel like it's a giving to get though. I really yeah. feel like Otherwise what I realized I was like, it. all these things are just like, choose me, love me, choose me, love me. That's what, that's what it feels like this mm giving all this stuff and it's like wow i'd love to get to a point where i could just give without expecting anything in return and not needing any validation right or anything else yeah sounds sounds good doesn't it that's yeah that's really helpful that's it's so hard too and i'll i'll say one other thing that what i'm trying to work on and what i think about a lot is it's like, I don't want to keep giving my power away to everyone, right. you know, the power for my happiness. Like it just, that really feels, doesn't feel like a great place for me. You know, like I don't want to be so dependent on everyone to say that I'm okay. Yeah. You know? Yes. Um, yeah. That's like a great, like little summary for, for the, the dependent, dependent stance. stance. Yeah. Totally. That it is giving your power away, I think as a way to talk about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, that sixes are seeking inner mind security by asking for reassurance from others. Do you have any? I mean, everything that is coming up around this dependence stance is feeling very spot on mm. for me. I feel like I could, my, my life is sort of a master class in codependency. <laughs> <laughs> Truly. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like my... Wouldn't it be funny if, if those get- master classes were actually like that? Wouldn't that be hilarious? Oh, my gosh. Uh, yeah, like I I joke with people that it took me... I mean, I've had a lot of complicated relationships with people because I, I become so entirely dependent. Or I, I did. I feel like I've actually gotten a lot better. But I, I would become so entirely dependent on other people to guide me to tell me what to do, to give me approval, all that kind of stuff. And then I would simultaneously become sort of resentful of being told what to do or, you know, all of the the pieces that come along with the fact that you don't actually really want somebody to, to guide your life for you. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So do you feel like you're kind of seeking safety in all of that questioning and getting data from people and getting people to kind of tell you what to do? And then it gets to a point where then that starts to feel unsafe. That, if that, I'm not, if, if when I was at a point in my life where I was less able to recognize my own behavior mm-hmm. in that regard, then I wasn't, like, I, di- I didn't see the ugly underbelly of becoming dependent on right. other people it to felt prop more, you it, up. It, it felt, it felt like, yeah, it just felt organic and yeah. what one does. Yeah. And then obviously there was like a wiser part of myself that was trying to figure out how to wrangle myself away from this dependency but I wasn't mature enough or skilled enough to kind of be able to handle it in a way that where I could untangle myself yeah skillfully and so it became you know kind of like with how you are with your parents right where you want to kind of lash out or push push against but um yeah I also have always joked that it I feel like I lucked out and that I married somebody as codependent as I am. <laughs> and so we've been locked together in this psychotic, <laughs> almost 30-year dance of working out one another's codependency, where I think anybody else would have hit the road a long time ago. But because we're both so dependent and so kind of attached. Yeah, yeah it's so kind cool. of a closed cycle. Yeah, yeah. And, and luckily we've been able to utilize that Mm -hmm. closed cycle to kind of uh work out a lot of the shit that comes with being so dependent on people yeah i wonder if though if codependency doesn't get a bad rap in a way i can't remember which book it was (laughs) high five i love it i love it scott (laughs) no seriously um i can't remember which book it was i listened to these two books in the last two days getting the love you want and attached i just listened to both of those Uh in a row Uh and you know, attachment theory, I think in that book, they do kind of talk about how the most current attachment theory proves that, you know, there are aspects of our personalities that we need each other. You know, I mean, there, mm-hmm. there's nothing, yes. it's like, I think they were saying that, you know, everyone's so obsessed with being independent. And sure. it's just like this aberration of like, what humanly we need in our in relationships and how we connect to people. And you know whether we have a an anxious or avoidant or secure attachment style i mean i wonder how that fits in with enneagram too because that's super interesting you know these are also compulsions that are you know come from our childhood or adult relationships and ways to adapt to different way you know things that happen to us i don't know i just well i do think as a culture we we worship individuality too much and i think mm-hmm. it's gotten us to this really polarizing place um so i i hear that i think that's interesting but also think i think there's like must be a difference between needing each other and understanding that we all need each other and that yeah. we're all interdependent and that we're all you know need to be vulnerable with each other and uh, can't do it alone, have to ask for help, all those things, but have certain boundaries around that as well. It's about balance, don't you think? Yeah, I think it's, I was thinking when you, when you were saying you kind of store up the things that you're listening for what, who people like, what they like and how you can love them well, I naturally kind of hear those things my work is to follow up on them, right? I don't naturally as a nine do anything with that. So my 
I'm good and healthy when I am when I take those things that I know and love about people or know that bring them joy and then risk connecting in with them with them in that way. So it's it you know, we could all kind of go around the table and think about the ways we connect. And there's not a I don't think there's a right or yeah. wrong. Yeah. You know, it's kind of like caricatures. I don't think there there has to be a yes or no. But it's the knowing yourself part. So it's knowing that what's behind it. So am I looking for my whole identity in this codependent relationship? Am I letting them tell me who I am? Am I letting them tell me that I am lovable just because I can give you these things? Am I letting them tell me I'm good just because I did it to the 110th percent, right? So I think there's any of these behaviors there's not necessarily anything wrong with right. at all but it's kind of what is happening inside inside of you um, is the part that is is the work that no one can see right yeah you know yeah um, okay so I feel like we've so I mean I feel like we've kind of talked about this already but it's about this is kind of reiterating the idea that you put your hearts in the hands of people who maybe haven't earned that and um, so kind of just again about discerning um, who determines your agenda and how you decide who you are Um, you know it's about honoring yourself when Mm -hmm. you can bring up that discernment about who you allow to tell you who you are. I wonder if anyone, any of you, could give an example or if you think of a time when you realized that you kind of gave that to someone and your kind of own work, your own discernment said, ooh, I shouldn't have, and kind of when you got stuck in that and you were aware of it, which is our work for all of us, is that kind of observation of how we just kind of habitually make our way way through the world is there a way like can you think of a time where you just kind of handed that over to someone yeah I actually feel like it comes up for me fairly frequently as a business owner Mm. um I I wonder how many sixes there are that are business owners just because it doesn't feel like a comfortable role (laughs) for me it never has like I Mm -hmm. feel like it happened somewhat uh, spontaneously in a way that ironically now that we're talking about this I think that it all kind of came together like the reason that I am a business owner and I have employees is because I don't think I ever felt like I could do it by myself and, mm-hmm. it, and I think that once I had employees that I felt accountable to and who I felt like I could kind of match maybe and accentuate the vision that they had that I could um, elevate that but I don't feel like I was ever able to feel strongly enough about what I did as a solo Hmm. person to to be able to kind of launch myself into the world but once I had employees I felt very uh, accountable to them and kind of codependent in a lot of ways in terms of like wanting to make sure that they were taken care of and they were um, seen 
And uh, But as a business owner, you are perpetually being asked to sort of leverage your identity, your brand identity or mm-hmm. whatever you want to call it. Other people want to... Exploit that? Exploit or- it sometimes. Sometimes yeah. it's true collaboration, you know, and mm. it's very difficult to suss that out and kind of tease out intentions. And I think early on, I was so smitten with anyone who showed any interest at all ever that I was perpetually, yes, 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 anything, whatever, yes. And and it took a long time to kind of utilize that platform to figure out how to draw more clear boundary lines. Yeah, that's a really interesting example. That is a good one. I have one that's, it, it almost breaks my heart to say it but my mother Mm -hmm. um and i can think of lots of scenarios with people in general but the one that came to mind like very strong and visually i could almost picture myself doing it what my mother is a hoarder Uh Mm -hmm. and she's been separated from my father for a long time and she kind of she lives by herself and she has you know she just constantly builds up all this stuff and then i would go home and visit her and it would be a week or more of me cleaning out stuff and clearing pathways and cleaning her kitchen so we could cook and doing all these things to the point that I was so like emotionally broken down by it that I would be depressed for like weeks when I got back. Mm. And she, I don't think she would consciously say she does this, you know, but she would definitely leverage my ability because she's very defeatist. Like I would get in and just do it, make it happen. Um, And she would leverage that to get these things done. But I would return a few months later or a year later and it would just be the same again. Mm-hmm. So it's this constant cycle of like me putting all this energy into like helping her fix this and make everything, put it in its right place. And, and uh, it just it was, it was draining. I don't do it anymore. I yeah. had to finally set a boundary where I was like, I'm just not going to do this. Yeah. And it makes me feel sad because I feel like I'm not offering this, this service to her that she needs. And I think about it all the time and I feel guilty about it. And mm-hmm. you know, all those things that come with that setting boundaries <laughs> yeah but i also haven't felt that horrible feeling that i feel when i go and do that thing for like the yeah. 18th time yeah. yeah yeah so yeah yeah i think that's that is a space that we don't talk about much with ones i think we talk about their need to perfect things mm-hmm. but i think lots of times the ones i know kind of get caught in that dependent stance of doing what needs to be done like the good thing that needs to be done the good thing is to make her have a healthier place to live a less chaotic place to live and I think that is that's a piece of being a one and in the dependent stance that we have a harder time it's a little more nuanced to talk about you know definitely and there's probably so many different definitions of what it what good means to a one so or what good in a relationship Mm -hmm. means to one or what good in job or you know and it it could probably I can I I haven't thought about it so much before as you're just giving too much of that away um yeah I think so often we see the ones as this uh, as doing this to us you know instead of um us doing that to you you know like you kind of using what you have to offer um, and exploiting that, and, and that's helpful to me. Yeah, and I think you know we talk about the childhood, the message. You mm-hmm. know, the, it, it, I relate with this really strongly because you know my parents were by no means perfect, but it was always 
I was always hearing that like we couldn't I couldn't mess this up I couldn't break things I couldn't like make a mess even though they were like super you know but I but I don't know if they were really saying that as much as I was hearing it you yes know? And yes so that, that pattern started super early for me of the cleaning yes. the house like I started doing that really young and like as a child cleaning up after your parents doesn't it makes sense like it, yeah. it's completely backwards in your like evolution you know but yeah. that is what happened to me and it, it has just really like that message stays with me like hardwired yeah, yeah like it's it's in there um for sure yeah oh i just thought of sorry i just thought of one other thing that feels tied into what you guys are talking mm. about yeah interestingly i think that one thing that i've noticed when you're speaking about kind of opening up and becoming dependent on people without necessarily um, being particularly uh, savvy or boundaried around who you're interconnecting with. Uh, I I have found in the past that there are, like that's a pathology that seems to attract a certain type of person. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, Mm. so there's a weird um, They can sense it, you think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, I think that there's sort of a smell of desperation or I don't know exactly it is, but there, I think that there, you know, that there are people out there for whom the idea of being so powerful in somebody else's life is intoxicating. And so that can be like another thing to kind of address as a dependent person. Mm -hmm. Right. Like it's kind of like sharks to like a feeding frenzy sometimes. Or I mean, that's a little hyperbolic, but you know what I mean? Yeah. When you're not in a particularly strong state, you are vulnerable to people who whose tendency is to kind of seek out that leadership role in a way that isn't healthy. Yeah, right. yeah. I think uh, maybe all three of the the numbers in the room tonight could be um, great candidates for that kind of trying to be like a saving partner, like a savior partner to mm-hmm. or help someone be better I did that a lot when I was younger like mm-hmm. you know, you'd find someone and try to help them or help them get better and then you just realize like that does just doesn't always you can't change anybody else yeah but maybe I think that that may be part of that dependent stance and just really like what you said speaking of that it gives you a sense of accomplishment or power or bond to help someone in that way in a way mm-hmm. that maybe isn't even realistic but you feel like in your mind you maybe think you can uh-huh. and it gives you yeah. a kind of a, an intoxication a little bit yeah i was like the two has to talk about that <laughs> no, i was just gonna say i've always thought of that way of potentially even martyring yourself to save someone else being in a relationship with them is maybe a just a way to avoid working on yourself mm. you know mm-hmm. it's like oh, i'll just find this project person <laughs> And then I don't have to work, focus on myself at all or work on myself and I can just focus on them. Right. You know, it's like an avoidant thing. <laughs> yeah. I think you, it keeps you from having to take responsibility for boundarying that boundarying, you know, yeah. you're helping, 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 you know? Mm-hmm. So yeah, no, I think that's super helpful. Yeah. So just, we've talked about this as we've gone over numbers, but this the dependent stance tends to ask lots of questions, um, but and which makes sense because you're looking for what you need outside of of yourself. And we've heard examples of that 
already from um, the stories that you all have shared. So it's fairly, I think it's fairly obvious with ones and sixes. So you talked about how you ask questions or are looking for the feedback to tell you that it's good enough or that you've done it right or that you've done a good job. You are looking for um, the as feedback, to, mm-hmm. or as a six, sorry, podcast, I'm pointing <laughs> and saying you. Um, helpful. We're out of practice. <laughs> um, that uh, what for what is good and safe and where is the place, who are the people you can kind of connect with and trust and who will take care, who will take who will care, take care, of, care of, of you, yeah. where will it be okay? Um, and I, for whatever reason, I don't generally think about twos asking a lot of questions. I think it's trickier to kind of pick up on that. But I think you, kind of your first example, Scott, is part of that. You know, part of how they're asking questions and kind of reading what is outside of them is to, who, to see what people need or what they want and storing that away and then giving it to them, right? That, that it's a little different feel from these two, but, but the kind of the, the questioning is around being able to give yourself and give them what they need. Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, I guess I thought of that as more of like a, just an awareness of watching what's happening and what's said. But what you were just saying made me think of question when i think about questions when i think about let's say any kind of relationship like i feel like i'm always wanting to know where do i stand with the person so that's yeah. where my questions are right. it's like yeah. like are we okay that's what i need to know like yeah. where do mm-hmm. i stand where do i stand are mm-hmm. we okay mm-hmm. where do i stand mm-hmm. so that's kind of like my constant i have a constant need for that yeah. i feel like in a way yeah and i and i think that is true with twos like they want to hear that what they've given that how they've related that how they have cared for you is good in yeah. that way. Like it's, and so they're like, that's where the kind of the heart triad dependent stance mm-hmm. kind of come merges together where they're asking questions and depending on other people to, to see where they are relationally. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's good. My best friend is a two. And if I, so I can totally disappear off into my own world of just kind of being whatever's in front of me you know, working on my projects, doing this and this and this. And if I haven't spoken to her in a, in a while, she'll be like, Hey, are we good? Mm-hmm. Like she'll get, she will definitely start Worry to think that it. like I'm mad at her or I'm upset with her. And, and I used to just always be like, why, what, why, what do you mean? And now, I mean, this is such an amazing tool. This yeah. Enneagram, it really is. I can look at her and have compassion for that. Yes. Like, Oh, and I just will tell myself, remind myself to check in with her. Cause I know she needs that. And mm-hmm. it makes her feel supported and seen and it's mm-hmm. like this easy little thing that I could just do yeah yeah because you are what's right in front of her yeah right relationally is what's right in front of her no. not not the task but relationally I think yeah. is her what's in mm-hmm. in her mind's eye all the time but also mm-hmm. like as a one you're you're kind of you have the gift to know that that's what's required with to be a good friend to this two friend of yours so then it's you you can kind of just flow into being that friend to her because you're kind of equipped to to do that. You know, I can yeah. think of other numbers on the Enneagram that might um be stubborn about that or be resentful about that, but you just you're, you know, I mean, it's good one stuff. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was an eye-opening realization for me. It was mm-hmm. like, oh, I can actually like really improve the quality of this relationship by just remembering this one thing. Yeah. It's like that simple. 
So. Yeah, that's good. It's really helpful. Okay. I actually have a quick question for mm-hmm. Scott. Just speaking of that, like I because I find that that that's something that really resonates for me. Also, I have a like an obs- when I'm not doing well, I obsessively ask everybody around me if they're mad at me. Are you mad at me? Are you mad at me? Like it's this mm-hmm. relentless, like to the point where Matt, my husband, or you know the people around me will will become really annoyed. Yeah, um, they'll get mad at you. Yeah, mad exactly. At you. Ironically, well, that's like one of the things I didn't understand about sixes yeah. is, and so Alabelle's friend Susanna, who came to came to one of our things, she's a six, and we were talking about all this six stuff, safety, safety, safety. And she's like, I experience it most dramatically in relationships. Mm-hmm. So I'm seeking podcast, safety in yes. relationships. Yes, and so I, so that's what you're talking about. Yeah, and I just wonder if the if there's a difference between a six and a two. For me, it, mm-hmm. it presents as, as the, the more sort of in a dysfunctional space I am in. It feels like terror. Like, are you mad at me? And it, the idea of you being mad at me is terrifying like it's so scary it's such a yeah. scary feeling fear fear yeah so, so the, the, the difference is you're you're y'all are both dependent in the same way mm-hmm. but you're in the fear triad and you're in the heart triad so it feels more viscerally um maybe yeah and where scott you might feel shame you might take it on yourself yeah. and feel like you did something or uh, yeah i I don't know that it feels, it feels as scary and fearful as it does. Um, I just feel, I mean, there's some anxiety, but then there's kind of like a maybe sadness or, I mean, there is some fear, I guess, but it just doesn't, it doesn't feel, mm-hmm. I don't know. I guess the thing that came into my mind when you were talking was that I don't necessarily just come out and ask as much as I probably should. I, sh- I kind of try to decipher what's happening other ways, mm-hmm. you know, not, less directly uh, and know? I do think the whole need thing for a two it's really crucial here so you're trying to figure out things that you can do so that they'll need you more so that you can sort of mitigate that whole situation because mm. you're confusing love with need right and yes. so I think that's you're like managing it that way through your feelings and through them needing you right whereas you're you just want to feel safety in the relationship and not feeling safe in a relationship scares the shit out of yeah. you but you're not yeah. like trying to angle for ways in which they might need you more if you do this no, strangely, it becomes sort of narcissistic. It's like it, you, you become less curious about why even somebody might be oh, mad interested mm-hmm. and more focused on your internal. It, it's like all of the pieces start coming together in your brain, what you need to do to self-preserve in that moment. So, so interesting. That's really so good. You're figuring out the ways to self-preserve. You're figuring out ways in which you can that they will need you none the, no matter what like none the, even though maybe something might be wrong there's a way that you can relationally fix it if you like you're turn she's turning off all those feelers to figure out how to fix it so that she can preserve herself and you're I think in the heart triad you're hypersensitive about all the ways in which you could fix it how they might need you again here I can do this I can do that to make it better 
And you yeah. might and, not and, ever and, say at it out the, loud. At the peril of your own personal safety, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Mm, yeah, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. That's really good. <laughs> really helpful. I think it's helpful. <laughs> I feel like this makes me sound like the worst person to date. <laughs> oh, no, no, That's no. That's how no, we no. all feel. We all do feel that way. It's like we I'm never going to have another date no. for the rest of my Come life. Come on. Listen, two, two, to me, twos and four, male twos and fours. Twos and fours. I mean, not to, be gen- like, not to be all gendered about it, but I love me a two. <laughs> you do love you a two. I, I love me twos, too. Yeah. They're good. We like them. Yeah. Um, well, and I, I think, so verbal processing is a really big thing for dependent stance. And when you think about, think about the fact that part of your work is bringing up thinking, and if you are doing that in a silo, like you just used, uh, Kathy used the word kind of, you feel, start to feel narcissistic because you're all in your, all inside of yourself. And what happens for you all is if you can kind of say what is going on in you and it's you say it out loud you're like ooh that's to someone that's you not, trust to someone you trust <laughs> but that's not really tracking you know that i am my my mother is the hoarder i'm i this you know like if if you come home and tell that story to someone and you say i i'm the worst daughter because i can't I can't make this better. You know, I go back and she does it again. I go back and she does it again. Well, when you say that out loud, you can start making the connections of, my goodness, who I am doesn't depend on how my mother behaves, right? Who, who I am and how safe I feel doesn't necessarily depend on what everyone else is doing, how loved I am doesn't depend on if I can meet every single need of this person in uh, the relationship without them even having to tell me what they need, right? Like, once you start saying out loud kind of what you're up to, it it's, to me, it's the first step besides observing yourself. Mm-hmm. For you all, it's the first step of bringing up productive thinking. Yeah. It's like, putting it out into the open, putting it, saying it out loud lets you kind of kind of pop a hole in it you know yeah. it deflates the intensity yeah breaking the chain yeah because like i do that for sure like i will tell like connect a million things and then i'll tell like i do this with my husband all the time i'll assume like 15 things in a row and then i'll tell mm-hmm. him i'll get mad at him uh-huh. tell him and he's just like how did you arrive at that conclusion like there's that doesn't make any sense and the second he kind of calls that out for me i can actually look back and immediately see pretty much the moment that I went wrong, like uh-huh. where I started connecting things, and it was because I got up in my head with the the cycle of just well, and then this, and then this, and then this, and then this, and and you know I think as one the anger thing is definitely a, a thing. Yeah, maybe I don't know how you guys relate to anger, but um, I definitely like infuse my thought process with it, mm-hmm. and um, and I don't always express it. Like sometimes it's all just in my head. But probably most of the time, yeah. it's in your head. Can I yeah. ask what you break. mean by that? What do you mean by you infuse anger into your thought process? Such so the an gut- excellent way of talking about a one, by yeah. the way. So she's the only one in this stance, by the way, that's in the anger triad. Right. So, so the anger to, triad is in the gut triad, which fear, is eight, nine, and heart. one. 
So heart. just below the surface all the time Shame. with Jen is anger. Just below the surface all the time with you, Kathy, is fear. And just below the surface all the time with Scott is shame, right? So we, we're just kind of a, good at translating or making everything, kind of infusing it with anger. So when, when you say that your, your fear is in, how did you put it? Infused in every thought? The anger infuses into that thought chain, like that thought cycle. I think that's an excellent way of talking about being, thinking, repressed as a yes. one. So that's exactly like, it doesn't mean you're not thinking. It's It means that you're not pr- thinking productively. And to have that chaining, that anger in the thought process is not productive. Is what drives it. Yeah. Can I interrupt one more time? Because yeah. yes. I'm genuinely super curious about this. Is is Does that mean that the anger is driving the narrative of your thought? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so you're, the chain is is derived basically because anger is coming up and so there, yeah. that shapes the narrative. So the next mm-hmm. thought. Yes. And so it skews reality ultimately. Yeah, right. and I'll often like tie something into that chain from like three years ago. Yeah. Like it's like it does not. It's resentment. Yeah, and it's because I didn't deal with it at the time, mm-hmm. and so I think medicine for me really is talking about things when they come up and yeah. just dealing with them right then and there, so they don't trouble me later. Because when I start to get into that thing, like I do it, my poor, poor Sam. Um, but I will just you know I'll relate something he did with the dishes to something going on in the backyard to like. <laughs> whatever I you know how my day went and it's like it's not him he didn't do it it's it's just me collecting these things as almost like ammunition yeah but I did and if you had told me I did this three years ago two years ago I would have been like I'm not angry what are you talking about I'm so chill I'm so easygoing no I'm not I'm not at all and I have learned that about myself and I can be but I'm not by nature and I'm definitely not in my head yeah like no no hard no yeah. Um, but oh, the anger, so helpful. it's like if I don't, if somebody, if somebody helps me break the chain, like if I just call my sister, my sister's great at it too, is I'll call her and she'll just immediately be like, well, have you thought about it like this? Or I don't know, that seems a little bit far-fetched. And I'll immediately be like, you know, I think you're right. And it's, it just stops it. Like it's like it evaporates kind of. And then if I can figure out exactly what troubled me and just talk about that one thing instead of relating it to these 15 things... I'm not even mad anymore. It's like, oh, it's just gone. But it's a crazy world in there. <laughs> Good luck going on. <laughs> she, she's pointing to her head yeah. on the podcast. Oh, yeah. 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 In yeah. the head. In the head. So good. So chaining. Ch- chain, yeah. Chaining. And uh, you've just talked about chaining. So so I think for this stance, and we, we're trying to find ways to, to talk about this. I think you, you know, kind of. I, I really like that, like allowing fear to infuse your thoughts, allowing shame to infuse mm. your thoughts. I think yes. that's a really good way. That is. That, that's a really good way to kind of talk about this repressed thinking, repressed thinking because you you allow that to drive uh, these connections warp, that don't To warp exist, your thinking, perhaps. To warp it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and it's what you're attempting to pro- sort of problem solve, I guess. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So. Like for fear, if 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 fear is is infusing your thought, then that like that's why I was asking if that's what sort of was driving the narrative is is the the emotional quality is sort of leading to the next sort of step on this pathway that is the pathway that you definitely don't 
want to be on mm-hmm. like what I feel the most afraid of or whatever or that makes you the most angry or I don't know sorry I'm just kind of trying no that's so good mm-hmm. and I think so one of the things that we just the threes sixes and nines are dominant and repressed in the same center so you are thinking dominant which I think we could just hear in your description mm-hmm. and you're also thinking repressed and that is because you're in your head trying to figure out what's the safe that silo path, you're that describing space, yeah. but that you are doing it by depending on others instead of your own experience, right? So that's sometimes it can be a little trickier, I think, to talk about how what what that feels like because you you're pretty cerebral. You, yeah, right? when you were first talking about being mm-hmm. thinking repressed, I I'm you didn't actually. Like that. I'm well, and this the last several like COVID times or mm-hmm. for whatever reason has really been powerful in terms of I keep feeling like I am stuck in my cerebral brain and have become disconnected from my soul in a lot of ways mm-hmm. is what it sort of feels like mm-hmm. I'm I'm perpetually sort of seeking information from uh, you know sources that I trust which I don't think that's necessarily inherently a bad idea but like but I've become obsessively doing that to the to the degree where I've had to actually stop myself and say I need to just stare at a wall for a couple of hours or listen to it like I forced myself to read a novel Mm-hmm. Instead of this stack of nonfiction sort of science-related mm-hmm. books that I was reading to try to make sure I knew That's exactly good. what happens yes. when there's viral loads and <laughs> neural <laughs> pathways. And like, right. That's good. Yes. Read a novel, sixes. I like yeah, that. I, I do, too. I, I think, gosh, how all of us are figuring that out. And I think probably if we went around the table and, you know, I just want to sleep all the time I just I just want to I just want to read novels you know I don't want to do anything so it's an interesting this time of COVID and how it can just soothe us into our (laughs) most habitual self yeah I mean I think it's an opportunity it's an opportunity to observe your most habitual self like kind of in a hyper way yeah and either stick with that or do something yeah. about it and you right? can be gentle with you can you be know, yeah sure says we can the be nine. gentle with ourselves <laughs> says the nine. everybody can be at peace and gentle, gentle with themselves <laughs> um okay so do, do you think we need to talk about chaining anymore or do y'all feel well i think it's you know for two so you i think we've figured out how sixes and ones but i think for twos you you do it relationally as well so if you don't if twos don't get the feedback or the response that they are looking for in their giving in their connecting in their taking care of um because again for all of you you're looking for who you are outside of yourself oftentimes you kind of chain together a response like if you do some th- something for someone and they didn't ask and they don't say thank you or they don't um, connect with you in a way that you were secretly expecting or wishing for, then you might connect that to every piece of the relationship. Like you'll just take one conversation, one connection, one encounter and make the whole 
relationship problem. Right. You'll yeah. you'll reread or reinterpret the entire relationship based on that one encounter. Uh, yeah. I mean, at, or maybe at least that makes it feel less safe. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. it makes you question. Yeah. Something. I think um, that. Um, I think that somebody you're in a relationship can do one thing wrong and it can you can feel like the relationship is in a bigger jeopardy than it is like it can suddenly feel in great jeopardy mm. and really unsafe and like yeah you're not being loved well the relationship's not going well uh this whole thing is not going to work out i'm mm. going to be i'm going to be hurt yeah you know and it really is just the one this one thing that can be unpacked um but it takes it takes two people you know calmly unpacking it but i think that's really scary mm-hmm. it's really scary yeah i mean i don't know if this is a two thing but i definitely and i was just observing this today um i mean it happens every day i find myself my radar for any form of rejection is on 100 mm-hmm. percent all the time and i'm anticipating possible rejections and i'm having dialogues with people about them ahead of time mm -hmm. um that's Mm -hmm. yeah that happens quite often (laughs) so it's like a yeah it's like this rejection radar with anticipating like what what would i say how would i respond to that rejection that criticism and it all i mean it like never happens and Mm -hmm. it's just like this compulsive thing Mm -hmm. i mean i mean can hardly even think of times when I've been rejected or criticized for my work or anything else, but I still anticipate it right. every time. Do you think that's kind of the shame piece? Yes. Like, cause you ultimately think you will be rejected. Yes. Probably. And of course, yeah. and of course looking for that brings it closer to you. Yes. You know, and that's true for mm, all, all the of heart. us, all yeah. of us, you know, well, yeah. Um, yeah. this, this quote I have that I got from a podcast this week is the action of fear is to claim more fear. The decisions made in fear, you're calling more of the same to you. So everything cre- created in fear just brings fear is always right, right? Mm-hmm. Fear always agrees with itself. So I think that could be said for each of y'all, not, you know, whether it's fear, shame or anger. It's like the law of attraction. Like yeah. whatever we fixate on in our mind, we draw right to us. Mm-hmm. And so if we can break that and think yeah. positively, then or think differently, maybe, yeah. and that's we can really draw to us what we actually are worthy, or you know, we're, um, what is more in line with our potential and what we deserve. I think. Yes. Yeah. Oh. So good. That's so good. Um, and I, you know, I think we all often think about ones as seeking perfection, but apparently. All of y'all are pretty involved with perfecting. It's just uh, ones are sort of involved with perfecting reality and um, everything around you because um, you're you are creating these ideals of how you want the world to be, and you're always involved in trying to make that happen. Right? Uh, Six is it's more about choices, decisions being correct, being um, the right choices and decisions which can you can get bogged down in that mm-hmm. because it's you know that you can always get more data there can always be more information about those choices and decisions and so that it can make those take a long time you know which uh causes problems um and so for twos it's uh, it's around um 
perfecting the relationship, which means you can end up trying to, uh, you're seeking this ideal thing, you're seeking an ideal relationship, um, you're seeking, you know, the person that's going to need you in the way that you need them, and the reality is that's not, you know, none of these things are possible, right? None of these ways of perfecting reality are possible, and so it, it, it bogs it bogs y'all down in different ways. Um, so, um, do you want to? You're taking pictures, Lee. Um, it's your no, I just kind of covered. I just kind of covered my perfection piece. I mean, I've never really talked about perfection with sixes and twos. I've always talked about it in re- regards to ones, but perfect relationships for two, perfect choices and decisions for sixes. Okay. So, let's see. Drive of unproductive thinking. I I really think we talked really well about that earlier with the infusing. Um, what yeah, I do what too. drives you? I love that. I love that language, Jen. And I think I think we we got that it. You are kind of assimilating all of this input that you are looking for or reading without productive thinking that you, you're making these connections that don't really exist. And I think how you do that is you infuse it with anger. You infuse it with fear. You infuse it with shame. You're thinking about all the ways you're going to be rejected before there's even, there's even a connection, right? But that's, that's the shame that's infusing that unproductive, unproductive thinking. Yeah, I mean, even just sitting here, I'm infusing my thoughts with the shame of what if I don't record this conversation properly or whatever. You know what I mean? Like I'm sitting here looking at the recorder, just like praying that it works and (laughs) anticipating how shameful I'll feel if I've lost this whole conversation. Even if we lost this whole conversation, it's helpful to us to have it. Beautiful. I mean, I think it is, it's... It's, you all would come back and do it again. That's, that's what I think. So um, let's see. We can talk about what's the what's work. What's the work? Okay. So once you, let's see, thinking is the purest piece, we, which we've talked about earlier. And so you kind of um, feel about things and do them, or you do them and you have feelings about them. You do them and you have feelings about them, right? Um, and you have feelings about others not doing them. <laughs> and that's kind of the circle that you get, you get stuck in. And so for everyone, and this is no matter what your Enneagram number is, it's observing yourself doing that. And this is a really hard part for you, one, is that you have to do it in a, you, I just said it, you have to do it, but to try to do it in a non-judgmental way, to just see yourself doing and think, ooh, there I go again, there, you know, I here I am, I wanted to say this about, my feelings were hurt earlier, and now I'm, this is all about the dishwasher, or whatever you talked about earlier, right? How you, to just, just say, oh, there I go again, and then to say it out loud. So to, to start, I think for every, all of you is to just start saying out loud what's happening, your, how you're assimilating, how you're reading the world, because it's not true. It's not. It's it's not the truth about who you are. So, um, all of the ways that you've described for for ones, twos, and sixes, how you are taking dependent on taking in 
the messages of who you are outside of you is not the truth. So once you can kind of catch yourself doing that, and you all do it in different ways, part of it is that you just have to say it out loud. Because otherwise it just, you get caught in that circle in your head. Um, And so, let's see... And one of, one of the things to recognize as a one is that you get, which you just talked about earlier, you get really enamored with doing, just like a four gets enamored with her uh, feelings. feelings, and fives get enamored with their thoughts. thoughts. <laughs> you are very, you're enamored with doing, doing the things. Whatever you've decided How, the things yeah. are that you need to do, um, that that's where you start finding, uh, so when you, when you notice that, when you're, when you're taking all your value, when you're just doing that feeling, doing, feeling, doing, and it's, if you can it's stop. Funny, it's funny because ones are enamored with how they're doing things, but they're oh. also so hard on themselves at the I same know. time. I know. Which is sort of random. It's, it's sort exhausting. Of it's sort of odd. <laughs> it's so tiring. We all do it. Well, and it's of course me who's like, oh my gosh, I, there's not enough energy to do all of that. I thought you were about to tell me that I need to just stop doing things. <laughs> I was like... Like clenching up. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, but, no. please don't say it. Please don't say no. it. No, no, I don't think. I think that would be not realistic. I think you have to. Part of your bringing up productive thinking is knowing that you're not what you do, which sounds so cliche and silly when you say it out loud. Except that you know, as a one, if you can, if you can observe yourself and catch yourself getting so caught up in that. That you, you'll know, right? That you can bring up your thinking, that you learn the ways to, to be at work and not do 120% on every project because someone's not there to tell you you did it. Or also, right. also, I think bringing up productive thinking for one is about seeing all the ways reality is already good. Um, yes. So there's all these places in reality that you can you can maybe pause and say to say recognize and say you know that that's already good or that's already good enough mm-hmm. you know um so i think that's that instead can, of just jumping to the the thing that is not not good and needs to be and i think in relationship i think that's helpful mm-hmm. because i think ones are not they're having the internal conversation with themselves all the time about how, how messed up everything is. And so when you're in relationship and you say to the person, um, you know, I really wish you'd put all the screws back in the jar, uh, when they've been working for eight hours stuffing a giant apple tree, this is obviously personal, um, you know, like I, I just said to him out loud, I said to my husband out loud, I'm not a one, but I go there in security. I was like, you know, one jar of screws is left out, but I've spent the entire day doing this piece that was very difficult. And I need the very least I need from you is a, a little bit of a happy sandwich. Wow, the piece you've been working on all day is amazing. I love it. These here are two reasons I love it. And I feel better when my screws are in place. You know? So I think it's like just that moment of pausing. To see what is good before you dive into what is not good. Sam would love to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> he needs that too. And that just, 
uh, I'm going to put that in my little bank. I mean, I always, I always bank. call it a happy sandwich, happy sandwich. And some people need happy sandwiches and some people don't. But I think ones would do well to think about how can I deliver a happy sandwich right now? Yeah. And I think that that moment to pause is another way that you can bring up productive thinking. Maybe, you, you know, there's not always going to be someone around you when you're observing yourself in these kind of infused patterns of kind of assimilating and being off to the races with your unproductive thoughts. But, but maybe you say it out loud. So just observing yourself and t- maybe you talk, talk to yourself or just the pause before you launch into the, the next space. That's a really good word. So I think a pause or a, anything that kind of stops the train. Yeah. And anything I think that, and I think for, I think for the dependent stance and the withdrawing stance, I think the work is the pause. You know, I think it's the pause and it's the self-observation, right? And for this, for what we're talking about tonight, it's about the, then what is discern, what is discernment after Mm -hmm. you pause and you, um, but I, you know, the aggressive stance is, that's about what, no, what I wanted to say is aggressive stance needs to pause and the dependent stance needs to pause. And I think we in the withdrawing stance need to not pause. Yeah. We need That's to like have like to someone needs to hit the fast forward button. Yeah, me. somebody needs to hit the fast <laughs> forward button for four, five, and nine. Yeah, but everybody else needs Probably to pause. Probably just needs a little, a little pause. Yeah. Okay. So to, to work, um, I think a lot of it is around boundaries, um, and so I know you were talking about you think codependence has its has its good things, but I think that. Um, I think that there's so much about um, all the things that you're giving and all the ways that people can depend on you in your generosity and your kindness and your goodness mm-hmm. that it just um, you, it becomes self-forgetting and you forget where your boundary is and where you are and all of that and um, becoming over-focused on where disconnections happen in relationships. And I think that, I mean, one, it's not, none of us are, are here to, to have connections with everybody. There's just people that we're not going to connect with, and it's never going to happen. So I think part of, part of the work for a two is, is having that kind of discernment, that you're just not meant to be connected to everybody, that there are only certain people that are worthy of all the work you were doing every minute of the day to be someone worth good lucky for us to be connected to right Mm -hmm. i mean so i think it's so much about that pause and discernment who who is worthy of all of this emotional connecting work i'm doing who do i put who do i give that to and um who uh do i help you know and who do i you know it's not just about the connection it's also about who you're offering help to did they ask for the help do they need the help all those kinds of things so i think it's um it's about the pause and then it's about like boundarying your your heart really in a lot of ways so i agree <laughs> <laughs> and i actually have been doing that work on my own just like i guess in the last 6 months just mm-hmm. being alone uh i think i have been 
raising my awareness of those things, pausing, mm-hmm. considering my efforts and my energies and where they need to go and focusing more on myself. So, I, And I think it's scary for twos to be alone, but I think the more alone time you have, the more you can actually hear your voice and mm-hmm. you can hear uh, what you, can, you need. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Mm-hmm. That's good work to do for it sure. Is. Okay. So six is you're part of your pause and, and again, these are the automatic ways that you're reading the world, right? So you have to observe yourself doing it, doing it. But just like a one is looking for what's wrong, you're always looking for what's not safe. And so part of, uh, or what's not right, or um, what, where you don't know enough. So instead, part, when you pause, you can scan the horizon for where, where there is safety, where there is good connection where you have tested the waters and you know you know um where where you need to go right instead of uh waiting to hear it from from someone else so i think we talk a lot about scanning the horizon for safety and what elizabeth and i've learned talking to more sixes is that there is some truth to that but how you're in how you're interpreting safety Mm. um it's just so, so different than, um, and I think hearing you talk about kind of codependence and relational kind of um, connection mm-hmm. and the fear in that space, not just get in the bunker safe. And there, there's the head knowledge, of course, because you just talked about your whole bedside table of science books right now, which makes total sense. Yeah, um, I love that. Yeah. I, I like I like too how um, Suzanne talks about sixes need to like put down duty and find mm. their desire um, because there's a lot of uh, maybe maybe a little pride wrapped up in how dutiful you are yeah. and um, and um, read a novel and so I I think you're reading a novel is a really good like physical example of mm-hmm. you putting down duty and picking up desire. Because you and and so, I think when you practice that a lot, it becomes they become synonymous. Like your you know, duty becomes desire, and desire becomes duty, and mm-hmm. they it it takes the uh, it takes that big like should or that big um, kind of heavy responsibility, which can sort of deaden the things yeah. you're offering, you know. Mm-hmm. A little bit, it kind of uh, it gives the things you're offering a little more, um, you know, a little more like energy or um, less uh, like like well, surprise, and, you know. And it's a way to take what you have learned and actually filter it through your own lens which is what yeah. we're kind of talking about here yes. is that it feels incredibly uncomfortable i think for me at least but it sounds like as a dependent <laughs> stance person is that right <laughs> yeah yeah that that to claim something as my own mm-hmm. yes. is terrifying right and yes. but yeah I, I mean i i this is just fascinating that it's all coming up right now and i won't get into the weeds with why but that the sheer amount of um 
relentless searching for the answer and then realizing that there is no answer, but there is your answer. But that feels very scary, and so Mm -hmm. you want to find the answer. But there is a my answer in there somewhere. Yes. But But that only comes when... You put the book down and you read a novel or yes. you listen to music or something that feels less heady. Yes. Yes. Yeah. When I think desire is a good way to talk for all of the dependent stance, probably for all of us, but mm. like when you talk about the dependent, when I think you some all, people are more um, you're, you're less puritanical about it. About it. I'm, I'm self-indulgent. Yeah. So I think there are a lot of numbers that have less of a, um, I think there's some kind of maybe under the surface a little bit of judgment about mm-hmm. desire yeah. and i think um that there's something I think about that, it that might be like a secret like a secret piece that allows you to actually so that thing at the beginning of the yes. night when we're talking about you seek peace in your body mm-hmm. what, uh, um that whole piece about like what what it is you're looking for i sort of feel like desire might be that secret ingredient that gets you back to that yes. which was um yes, yes was it's like it gets you out of validation your... and inner mind security yes yes yeah yeah because it helps you i think trust yourself like if you're listening to what you desire then you're looking inside in a different way yes ver- versus to, to everyone else to tell you um that you're good that you're lovable that you're safe that you're you know that mm-hmm. if you can start moving towards that piece what what do i want there there's something about that helps bring up thinking and trusting yourself um to know what you need to know what that you're good to know that you're safe and that you are okay um to trust your own experience versus having to get it from outside of yourself Mm -hmm. i don't know yeah do y'all have anything you want to add before we close i want to keep talking you do. No, we, I love well, that you I want to keep talking. Good, but I, so many good, good uh, nuggets of wisdom from you yeah, three. I always like having y'all's perspective on all of this instead of mine. I have a question. Yeah. So there is hope. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I mean, it sounds like you're, honestly you're giving us a path. To I, I feel like normal or something. I, well, I mean, I think the I think the reality is is we're all on our our journeys, right? Mm-hmm. And we all have our own compulsions, and we're, we all have our own ways of telling ourselves the wrong stories, right? About who we are, and so I think we're always going to be taking missteps. Yeah. You know, and we all have our own ways of doing that. But I think I, I just I think you're already. The fact that you spent all this time alone this summer and that you're thinking about the ways to take care of yourself, maybe some big life changes for you. I mean, I think that's all. I think you're you're on the path. It's just Mm -hmm. that it's never it's never linear. It's never fast. No, it's not linear at all. No, I will say that um, when I first started learning some of these tools, I was really like really they were right there in my mind I was using them a lot I was doing pretty good and then I get kind of comfortable in my own routine yeah, and then something happens and then I'd have a, a bad <laughs> moment and be like "Ooh, I need to go back and so oh, no. I think I think the one of the secrets that we can like let ourselves in on is that it's okay to do that and mm-hmm. not you know because I, I, I kind of got mad at myself I, yeah. I started criticizing like well you you know exactly what's going on here you yeah. should have known better and it's like 
okay like, yeah. let's just chill out here it's okay start fresh yeah. yes Clean exactly it's all, it's all good yeah so yeah. there is hope we just you know we gotta be easy on ourselves and I kind of think like the way that we are willing to talk about all of these mm-hmm. things to each other and you know put it out there and not be ashamed or whatever of all the missteps we make along the way is so helpful because then we just kind of all realize we're all stumbling along right and yeah. uh, and I just think that's life so yeah. and part of the the all the things we just talked about the habitual ways you are in the world until they don't work they feel pretty good like anger feels good anger feels good to me too and it's what feels the most natural and every kind of new situation or like I have to still choose to not be that habitual way of being in the world and just watching myself this summer watching myself during pandemic and observing myself and sometimes just letting myself like that's like cozying all up in my um, slothfulness Mm -hmm. I've done quite a bit of Mm -hmm. and then when it's not enough when I know gosh, even during this gross time, I don't want to be asleep. Then I have some tools to wake up, right? So it's, I think, and that's going to be, there's always going to be a part of me that's asleep to something, and it would be way overwhelming to try to wake up to everything and be on and yeah. doing this perfect or whatever all the time. Yeah. Um, but it's it's just that. It's a tool to just begin again, you know, mm-hmm. and that you have a little more muscle memory for whatever you your whatever yours is to work on mm-hmm. um, and this I think stance is is just always the really quick direct path to just get back into it yeah like to yeah. get um, and I think I think discernment might be my favorite word of the day for the for mm-hmm. this crew so I, I mean I think that's I like think. maybe could be a, a little bit of a mantra maybe mm-hmm. right? I think that's a I like like I like that as a way of saying productive thinking. I think yes, discernment I guess, is your way of doing productive thinking. It's like, mm-hmm. it's the pausing and saying, how am I infusing my thoughts with fear right now? How am I infusing my thoughts with with anger as a one? How am I infusing my thoughts with shame as a two? And recognizing that in the moment mm-hmm. is discernment, I think. Yes, yeah. All right, well, thanks, guys, thank for coming. Thank you all so much. Back I, in the saddle. I wanted to say thank you to Elizabeth and Lee for... I'm just in awe of your knowledge, and I feel like... That's very you know, kind. I just think the hundreds of hours you probably spent learning this, and you're just so... It just flows out of you. I'm just so mm. grateful for That's your That's very sweet. That knowledge. makes me so uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> and that makes me feel so special. Oh my God. <laughs> But Dang. also simultaneously ashamed of all the things I do wrong. Huh? I was like, I'm not an expert. I'm not an expert. I know, right? Well, yep, yep. We could we could go on about the withdrawing. It took us six years to even try to do it. All right, thanks, guys. I could end my dreaming Lonely nights of scheming Everything depends on you. Mountains may be high.